happening, guys? Happy Friday! And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Well, guys, UFC 267 is finally here, and coming up on today's show, I'll preview Jan Blahovich versus Glover Teixeira, Peter Jan versus Corey Sanhagen, Islam Makhlchev versus Dan Hooker, and the return of the experiment, Hazmet Chemayev. All of that later, but first, I want to begin by talking about the middleweight champion. Is he out of Sonya in 205 pounds? Where are we at on that, guys? That seems like a distant memory. It seems as though the way I recall it in my mind, he moved up to fight Jan Blahovich, all because there was a Hail Mary pass out there to get John Jones and Izzy together. That's how I remember that. Am I misremembering? Because that sounds right, and Izzy has a problem at 185 that nobody seems to want to discuss, which is he's out of contenders. Israel Adesanya is out of contenders. You can argue Jared Cannonier. The reason I'm pushing back on that is Jared Cannonier has business with Derek Brunson. He's tied up. If you released and freed Jared Cannonier, okay, great. Is Cannonier in front of Sean Strickland? Probably, considering Sean wasn't given the opportunity and was booked against Luke Rockall. Yeah, he probably is. But my argument of Izzy being out of contenders is extremely true, and it's very evident of the fact that he's already on the rematch tour. Him fighting Marvin was him fighting Marvin a second time. Him being fighting against Whitaker is him fighting Whitaker for the second time. Derek Brunson, I think we all agree, is the guy. And if he gets it done over Cannoneer, I think we're going to have a very hard argument, even to be anti-Brunson, which seems like the world is. I mean, in all fairness, nobody's helped Derek Brunson. But let's just say that that happens. That'll be Izzy fighting Derek for the second time. How many times has he got to fight the same guy? All of them? He only gets to do rematches? Which is okay. He'll clean out a division. George St. Pierre did it. Went down, remember, pretty favorably. That's okay. But my argument isn't whether we want to see that or we don't. My argument is to prove he's out of contenders, and I just succeeded. So what do you do at uh, 185 pounds? Well, if you're Adesanya and you're getting tired of the comeback tour, you're getting t- you, you've are you got to have some parity, you've got to have some motivation. Moving up to 205 is the way to do it, but considering he already came in that division, cut the line in front of everybody, and fought the guy who's got the current belt, it would seem as though Blahovich has got to go. For Izzy to be moved back up, to be open to the idea, to walk away from 185 pounds, I think he's going to need a different champion at 205. I'm guessing, guys, at best. I am get. You want a real? Pred- I'm not even making a prediction. I'm making a guess. You want a prediction? I predict he stays at 185 and fights all of these guys a second time. However, that's a year's worth of work. That's a year's worth of work. What do we do then? He's going to start fighting the same guys three times. I mean, do you see contenders coming up at 185? I'm wide open to it. I know at heavyweight, they're here now. The heavyweights of the future are not training in Cuba or with Khabib and Dagestan. They're with the organization right now. The Tanner Bozemans of the world just have not been exposed and given their opportunity, and they don't know how to go out there and seize it. So it's going to be a long path, but we got five heavyweights right now. Young guys, straight up badasses with real skills. They're just not identified. And they're far from being stars. They're far from being marquee guys. And I'm asking you, do we have the same scenario at 185? And I'm missing it. 
I look at Ian Heinish. Ian Heinish is as hard of a night out as you're going to find in the sport. Period. And you could find better guys, and you could find a more dangerous guy in this position. Ian Heinish is as bad of a night as you're going to have at the office. Oh, great. I get to go to work today, and I get to fight that guy. Oh, great. All right. Let's get this over with. Right? It's one of those situations, and Heinish, last I saw, was ranked 9. And that was the last I saw. I don't look at the rankings. I would trust that he's moved to more like 11 after his fight with Gastelum. So if we're starting to identify who's up and down 185 pounds currently, trying to make believe that we know who's going to be a contender for Izzy, it's one of the reasons I'm not willing to dismiss Darren Till. Till did not have his ideal performance and definitely did not have his ideal outcome against Derek. Till offers something to Izzy. And you must get the blessing of Adesanya. If any guy has proven that, it's him. The night that he fought Yoel Romero with Yoel coming off a loss. And Izzy telling Dana, I don't care about any of that stuff. I want to fight him. I don't want punished for my success. I don't want punished and told I can't fight the guys I want to fight. I'm in the fight business. I'm in the one field in the world. I don't have to like my coworker, and I can punch him. Don't punish me. Dana goes, man, I, okay. All right. But Paulo Costa got the nod as well because Izzy gave it to him. Bobby Knuckles is getting the nod a second time because Adesanya handed it to him. You have to have the mandate. And I think that before you count out Darren Till in title contention, I get he's got to have a win. I get he might even need two. I'm just suggesting don't throw him out yet. There's a place for the Darren Tills and the Sean Stricklands of the world. Fresh blood that on any given night, big problem. Unless you believe Izzy has to only fight the same four or five guys. And for how long? So that's my piece on Izzy. Now let's spend the rest of today's show focusing on the big event that all of us will be watching. Tuning in this Saturday afternoon, UFC 267. First up, a must-see fight in the lightweight division. Dan Hooker versus Islam Makhlchev. When this fight came out, DraftKings had it 3-1 Makhlchev. Now, Makhlchev had one big thing in his favor. And the person that set the line for DraftKings said this, which is that Makhlchev knew about the fight and that Dan Hooker didn't. Now, I would concede that to you right off the bat most times. Islam knew about the match. He knew where it was. He was in training camp. He was getting his weight under control. He was focusing on an opponent. All true. I don't agree that it was untrue for Dan Hooker, though. Now, Dan Hooker was a surprise into this contest in that Hooker just got done fighting and was not supposed to be on this card. That's where the surprise stops. Hooker getting done fighting signifies that his weight under, is under control. It signifies a training camp. It signifies actual participation and rounds and minutes. It signifies dealing with jet lag and getting to a new location. It signifies going through the commission and getting your paperwork done. I mean, right, there's many things that are very positive for Dan Hooker that I don't think the 3-1 to one justifies. Now, I understand that Islam is likely to win this fight. I understand that Islam is likely to win all three rounds. You had better understand he's going all three rounds. Can Islam Makhlchev take Dan Hooker down? Sure. Can he keep him there? Probably. 
Can he bludgeon them while they're there? I would suspect. Can he finish Dan Hooker? Hell no. I really think that, guys. I really do think that because when you're in Islam's spot, and let's take a look what that spot is, okay? That is the anointed spot of King Khabib. Khabib Nurmagomedov, for North Americans, damn good fighter. Would you agree? Yeah. Fairly recognizable? Yeah. Really good career? Yeah. Mega star? No. In North America. Khabib Nurmagomedov is the most famous Muslim athlete on earth. So there's a very different perspective and very different perception in other parts of the world other than what you feel. And what you feel, you just acknowledged, was still something very positive towards Khabib. So when I tell you that he is, when I call it Khabib a king, he is royalty within this space. Khabib has earned the right, not to mention, Khabib is still in the room every day. He has earned the right through putting in the time to say who he believes is going to be the heir apparent to his throne. And he's only said it about one guy. He's not spreading the love around. Khabib's got a cousin in the organization, for goodness sakes. I couldn't even tell you what weight class. Khabib has nine teammates within the organization. I can't tell you where. It's just one of those situations. Like If you take Ali Abdelaziz, for example, Ali is extremely loyal and extremely positive about his team. If anyone asks Ali about anybody that Ali represents, he has beautiful things to say. If you go with Ali, you also get a promoter. That's true. And I've seen Ali's face popping up on TMZ, which in the world of media, particularly in this field, it's pretty damn massive. It's a big deal if you can get signed with Ali. It's hard to do. If you can, he's going to show that love. And I'm only bringing that as an example because Khabib's not. Khabib's saying it about one guy. That does not mean that Khabib doesn't believe in and love all... No, I don't hear it that way. What I'm saying is there's a sincerity. His own cousin is in the organization. That is not who he anointed. He's saying it's this one. It's Islam. And Khabib went further today and said Islam is already a top 10 pound for pound. Let me tell you what he did not say, in case you just heard me wrong. I don't want you to have to rewind. He did not say he's a top 10 lightweight. Khabib says Islam is already a top 10 pound for pound. Okay, let's accept all of these things. Let's just be the jury and accept it in. So what? So what? Every organization has the wrong guy as champion at some point. Vince McMahon, who got to write the script at some point, put Big Daddy Cool with the strap. It was the first time under Vince's helm they couldn't sell out an arena. It was the wrong guy, and he had the script on his side. I mean, everybody gets the wrong guy sometimes. Do you want to be the champion, or do you want to be great for business? And I ask you that. I ask you. It's a very real question. If you could only have one or the other, do you want to be the most famous soccer player in the world, which David Beckham was for a meaningful period of time, the most famous? He was far from the best. And at that time, I bet you he really wanted to be the best. But now, looking back, <laughs> putting his feet up and kicking back a little bit, he's probably pretty glad he was the most famous. So it's, it's a personalized question. But whether Khabib is top 10 or not, Khabib is uh, not Islam. I believe his record is 16-1. and one. It's something just beautiful. Shocking. He has not found a way to make himself interesting. 
and he is on the slow path. The slow path does still get you to the same position. It is just what would be known as like the Chuck Liddell path, where you're going to do everything right and you're going to do it for a long time, and those handlebars and that mohawk sure is weird until it's not. Then it's cool. Chuck became the most recognizable person in all of MMA. Might still be, by the way. Chuck Liddell might still be for those same reasons kids dress up as Chuck for Halloween. At one point, it was a grown man with a tattoo on his skull. Now kids are dressing as him as Halloween. When I was coming through my run and trying to get a real good understanding of the psychology of the business, I had one conversation which I gathered nothing from at the time, and I gathered everything from in hindsight. It was with Rowdy Roddy Piper, who told me, do not change, Chael, one day. They will love you for all the reasons they currently hate you for. You don't ever need to change. They will change, meaning the audience. I didn't know what that meant at the time. I could not perceive that in the time. But I bring it to you because what does Islam need to do so that he's going to be interesting? Because it's not just getting your interest, and that matters. Absolutely. You are what's called the mandate, because you are the masses. He must also get the interest of the media. And at this point, I don't know that Islam has even showed an interest in communicating with the media. I can't prove that he's not working on that, but I haven't seen any evidence that he is. What does he have to do to be interesting? He does not have a story. He does not have a gimmick. He doesn't even have a goofy fur hat. What does he do to be interesting? He's got the greatest ever vouching for him. Okay. Even Muhammad Ali had a hype man. That's a good start. He's got the most famous manager in the sport in Ali vouching for him. That's a good... So we got a lot of pieces to this puzzle. What I'm asking is what do we have to do to bring them together? Because I'm here to tell you right now. He's not stopping Hooker. He is not stopping Hooker. If he's so goddamn good... You would think that he could stop Hooker. And I'm telling you, he won't. He won't. Now, who tells you things with a straighter face and more confidence and is wrong more often than old Uncle Chael, right? In all fairness, I mean, this, this is between those boys. And they got to go out there and fight. But as I look at the odds on DraftKings, I'm looking for that prop bet. Tell me, can I get, this is going to go three rounds, this is going to go less than three rounds. Generally, DraftKings will carry action like that. Go find it. It really doesn't matter how bad Dan Hooker gets controlled. It doesn't really matter if there's even 10-8 rounds against him. I'm talking about he's not going to get out of there. And I really don't believe that he is. I don't believe that Dan Hooker, as a matter of fact, isn't better than Islam in certain parts of the fight. The one downside, and everybody that's ever done the sport not named Adesanya would agree with me, if you're the striker versus the grappler, the bad news for you, the striker, is you don't get to decide. The grappler is going to decide, are we striking, are we grappling? Adesanya, the only guy that breaks that rule. I really think that Hooker could do some damage on his feet. I see the length. I think that's a little boring when you tell me, oh, he's got the length, so if he can stay outside, keep him at the end of the punch. I mean, I think that stuff's boring. I think it's lazy. It doesn't make it untrue. If you look at combinations, that you look just look at their career and you just want to go right by the numbers... People get it wrong. People lie. Numbers don't. Dan Hooker has landed 300 times more jabs. He's landed 300 times more crosses, more uppercuts, more elbows, more knees, anything to do with a strike, more leg kicks, body kicks, and head kicks. 300 times. Let's say percent. 300x. 
over Islam. But the same can be said for Islam as it has to do with brutality on the ground and getting your opponent there. So it's one of these situations where if Islam is trying to capture people's attention and he is going the long route, which is to do everything right and do it for a long amount of time, and all of a sudden the world catches up. That happens. I've given you an example with Chuck Liddell, but there's other examples out there. Khabib falls into that same category. But when it worked, oh my gosh, they build an arena for Khabib Nurmagomedov. I never even had a dream of success that somebody would build me an arena, and I dreamed of success every day. Every day I dreamed of success. What do I have to do? How hard do I have to? I set my alarm. I get up early. I, I was. I kind of. I had that spark. I had. I had some drive. I never even dreamed that they would build me an arena. That's how big Khabib got. Now it wasn't here in North America, but that happened. Very special. Very unique. If Islam goes that path, the long road and he has to do everything right and get it right night after night, there is a very hard judgment being put on him. Because he's in 155 pounds, which is not only the hardest division in MMA, it's the hardest division in the history of MMA. It's one of the reasons I can't understand how people can give Charlie Olives a hard time. He is the champion of the hardest division of all time. But we're still questioning him? I'm fascinated by that. I'm fascinated by that. But if I'm right and Islam is not going to get Hooker out of there, and I am right, and he is not going to get him out of there, what does that do? Anything? Does it hurt him? Does it slow him down? It's for sure the biggest name he's ever had. It's on a beautiful spot on a card. More beautiful than he's ever had. That's arguable. He's been a main eventer before, but there will be more eyeballs on this. It's a great spot for Islam. I get all of that, but so do you. I'm bringing you the hard part of the equation, which is where are the pitfalls? Where can he slip and scrape his knee? Does he have to win all three rounds, and does he have to get Hooker out of there? Because DraftKings sure as hell believe you he's going to. Three to one? Three to one over a guy in Dan Hooker who is ranked number five in the world, who's been a multiple-time main eventer, who shared the ring with Poirier, and many think beat Poirier, including one of the judges assigned to the card that night. That guy? The Dan Hooker who got better in a pandemic training wherever he could get training? That guy? The Dan Hooker who flew over here five days before he accepted this fight, won a different fight and a totally different version, which was 100% with his wrestling, which he's never done before, and didn't lose a single round. That guy? That's the guy that you think is going to get stopped? Objection, Your Honor. So, Islam Makhlchev has been compared to Khabib, and so has Azmet Shemaev. He finally returns this weekend, and coming up next, I'll give you my official prediction for that fight, but first a word about today's sponsor. Fellas, the sport of business means demanding excellence from your craft and wardrobe. Your fits need to be versatile, blending timeless style and comfort so you look as good as you feel. For that, there's Cuts Clothing. They've taken classic men's fashion staple, the plain tee, and refined it, combining premium quality with a minimalist aesthetic. Cuts shirts, 
polos, hoodies, and crew sweatshirts are made for the man who works hard, plays hard, and never settles for less, all in the sport of business. What I love most about cuts is they offer a variety of color styles and hem cuts, which makes it fun to shop while adding some variety to my wardrobe. Each piece of clothing is designed with a custom engineered fabric, expertly graded for perfect fit, arming you for every challenge and opportunity. They are being called the Tesla of t-shirts. This is not just a lifestyle. It's not just clothing. It's office leisure apparel for the sport of business. Get 15% off your first order by going to cutsclothing.com slash chael. That's cutsclothing.com slash chael for 15% off the only shirt worth wearing. Official prediction, Hazmat Chabayev taking on the leech. Guys, first off, do I get credit for calling him the leech? I mean, in all fairness, you guys can't spell that name. You would be hesitant to pronounce it. And I just found a way around it because he's called the leech, which, by the way, he's 12 and 4. That's extremely relevant. These expectations being put on Chemayev, that he's supposed to just go through this guy, which is what's expected. I'm giving you an official prediction. Hazmat Chemayev. You want me to go further with that? Runs through the guy. Absolute stoppage. But is that fair? Against a, a gangster who's 12 and 4? That's a rough guy. Who knows exactly what he's getting into. Who's got footage now of Khabib 2.0. Who's studying him and breaking him down. 12 and 4? You beat 12 men? You're alright with me. Period. You beat 12 professional trained men. Under the unified rules, you're okay with me. And he only lost to four, but I went back and watched those. And I went back and watched those, I went and looked at the record. How, when, time. He's tough. He's beatable. He's not bulletproof. He has a couple of weaknesses that you can just see on the record. There's a couple of consistencies, but I'm bringing to you, it's a hard fight, period. And don't forget that Chemayev was out. Chemayev was so incredibly out. He at one point did not know if he was ever going to return. These are his words. It's very tough. But these are his words. He did not know if he was going to make it. And I mean live. It was Hazmat Chemayev, who was scheduled to take on Leon Edwards. Leon was ranked number three in the world at that time. It was rumored that the organization told both of these guys, whoever wins, fights for the strap. It was rumored, and that's a rumor I believe. He went from that to a hospital room, to a ventilator, to questioning, possibly the first time in his life, questioning if he was going to pursue his goal. And it's very relevant what he was sick for, right? With this COVID, it's very relevant because you're talking about respiratory. You're talking about breathing hard. Being able to breathe hard and push hard is one of the great things I've seen Chemayev do. When I saw Chemayev in Fight Island, right? And our RM3 would not be a great example. It was a 40-second fight with that big hook. Boom. On Fight Island, I saw a pressure. And if you're one of those pressure fighters, if you can just go harder, if you can weaponize pace, if you've just got one mutant lungs, if you will, your VO2 max, scientifically speaking, is higher than the average man by a meaningful amount. Great. 
But if you count on it and you don't have it, problem. I submit for you guys to this day, Nick Diaz versus Robbie Lawler, part two, that Nick Diaz found himself in a fight that was harder than he thought it was going to be. And that Nick Diaz found himself more fatigued than he thought he was going to be. I have to word it like that because I did not see a Nick Diaz who was exhausted. And I did not see a Nick Diaz who quit. And I did not see a Nick Diaz who was not absolutely defending himself and firing back. I saw a fantastic fight that the only one... There was 12,000 of us in the building that night. The only one that didn't know was Nick. In that moment. I think that Nick felt the fight was different or headed in a different direction than the rest of us saw. You see the connection. The connection is a triathlete who'd been removed for a period of time wasn't in, he was in great shape. It was not that he wasn't in great shape. He wasn't in his, his kind of shape. And that is where things can unravel very, very fast. When you hear a fighter come out, athlete of any kind, just say, it wasn't my night. He wins and I got no excuses. This just wasn't my night. They never finish the thought. They never further where they're going. This is exactly what they're talking about. You find yourself in a spot that was harder than you thought it would be. And you could be prepared to walk through fire. You could be prepared to walk over glass. If you find yourself in a spot harder than you thought it was going, your mind it plays tricks and it plays them very quick and it's very hard to compartmentalize. It's very hard to refocus. It is the sole reason that I believe Kamar Usman should be ranked number one in the world pound for pound. I've never seen anybody who can lose control of a moment and reset himself live. I have never seen it. Henry Cejudo does a very good job of that as well. Not to the extent of Usman. Usman can lose control of a moment. He can lose focus. He can doubt himself. And he can reset one second later. It is fascinating to watch. It is absolutely fascinating to watch. But it all comes back to the piece of psychology where an athlete tells you, oh, it just wasn't my night. I had an off night. What he's telling you is, this isn't what I was expecting. And I fell apart. And I started to question myself. To make believe that Chemayev is going to have any of those weaknesses is just that. That's make believe. There's no evidence. But I am sharing for you as we go into this fight, if you want Chemayev to come out the back end, if you're a Chemayev fan and you want him to come out the back end with the biggest bump possible, you have to create a question of can he do this and why you're asking it. And I've got very good basis. He hasn't fought. He's been removed. At the time he was fighting, he couldn't focus on a weight class. The experiment was going on where they're bouncing him uh, divisions and they're running him out there in an unample amount of time to do training camps. It was it was wonderful from a marketing standpoint, but it was also alleviated all pressure from him. Not having a division, being part of a marketing experiment where you're fighting one week apart, nobody's expecting anything good anyway. And then you go out and get positive results. It alleviated everything. Having an absolute focus on 170, while for some people that focus is going to be good. It also creates paralysis by analysis for other athletes. And the athlete I'm talking about has been gone for a year. Oh, and by the way, had a respiratory illness. It's an interesting match. From everything I've seen, from the leech 
to Chemayev. Chemayev not only wins, Chemayev dominates, Chemayev does not have to go all 15 minutes. But there is going to be things, potentially, that we haven't seen. Because we've never seen Chemayev in a spot quite like this. Let's move on to the co-main event because this can't-miss fight has all sorts of storylines coming out of it. Peter Yan versus Corey Sandhagen are going at it for the interim bantamweight title belt while TJ Dillashaw and Aljamain Sterling recover from injuries. And man, I'm looking forward to this one. Peter Yan. Yes. Yes. He just knocked one out of the park in the media. Peter Yan has been set up for a period of time to move to another echelon, right? If you're a champion and you're fighting co-main events or even main events, but they're title fights, they're featured, you're on the marquee, you're guaranteed the poster, the countdown show, the media tour, and you don't get one right, it's aggravating. What can you do? You're an outsider watching him go, man, I wish I had your skills, but boy, you I've got my own skills. And boy, if we could team up here, right? And I felt like that way with Peter Yan for a while. He just crushed one. And I saw Peter Yan. And so did you guys. Remember that backstage he had with Cody Garbrandt? He had a backstage with Cody Garbrandt. In his eye. He got that crazy look in his eyes. The look that Cody has all the time. Now Yan's got it. Yan was pissed at Cody. And he was not backing down. And he said some things to Cody, but it was more the way he looked as he said them. But you remember this. And it evoked an emotion and it made you very interested. But that was caught on accident. So he's an interesting guy when he doesn't mean to be, but when he tries to get into character, it falls flat. Very common. We see it all the time, just not always with somebody of Yon's level of success. So I, I'm giving you a setup, and I realize I'm not being terribly flattering to Peter. But I must give you that setup as a way to shine his wheels because he came out today and he said he is not interested in Aljamain Sterling if he gets a win over Sandhagen. That's great. That is great stuff. Now, I wanted Aljo Sterling to do this to Yawn from Jump Street, to refuse the rematch, to demand somebody else. This guy cheated. He's getting his license revoked. Why would I ever fight a cheater, particularly when I was in so much control in the first place? Thus frustrated him enough to have to try to cheat. His only way to win. Like, ridiculousness. Silliestness. But you guys will remember when Aljo won the title, and Aljo's like apologizing to people. Oh, I'm sorry, this isn't how I wanted to do it. It's like, guys, there's a, uh, there's a few ways to do this. You got your knockout and your TKOs, you got your decisions. There's a fourth way. It's called disqualification. I mean, in all fairness, sport does move this way, and nobody's ever said sorry. You guys watch the Olympics. Do you know how many people, teams and individual sports, do you know how many people are gold medalists right now from this last Olympics that ended in August and somewhere within that bracket won by disqualification? Do you want to know the answer? Seven. Does that surprise you? Yeah, I bet it does. Seven people are Olympic champion right now. Every having competitive architecture in every event within the Olympics. Seven people encountered a disqualification along the way. Do you care? Because I'll tell you what right now, they don't at all. On to the next one. It's as simple as that. And so when Aljo was feeling bad about it, yeah, I'm sure you would rather have decision to TKO knockout. But you don't. But you have the belt. Who are you saying sorry to? And it always bothered me with Aljo. That Aljo it took Aljo two or three days and then Aljo did shove it up everybody's ass. And it was great. As soon as he did, nobody's argued with him or tried to bring him down since. 
putting out media tours and he's got the belt over his shoulder. He's champion of the world. He's got every right to all of that stuff. So when Jan is now finally coming back and saying he will not have an interest in Aljo, if he wins the championship, and this has only been done one other time, it was by the great Israel Adesanya. And Adesanya started working that microphone and started working in that audience in perfect fashion. But this was the night that Adesanya unified the interim belt and the undisputed belt. He knocks out Robert Whitaker in front of 57,000 live fans, the biggest gate in MMA history. Adesanya refused. He came on the set of ESPN and he told us, do not refer to me as the undisputed champion. I am the two-time interim champion. I did not win the Indisputed belt tonight. I defended my interim belt. And he's got two belts over his shoulder, and he stuck with that for the whole interview. Now, he dropped it as soon as he left. He moved on to his next stick. But Adesanya can. Adesanya didn't have to hold to anything because everything that he grabs is red hot. But it was a hot moment. And I've talked to you guys, and if you stay with me long enough, you'll know I tell you all the time this is how Kamara Usman runs his career. Kamara Usman flexes. He pushes back. He negotiates in the media. He does everything everyone else does, and nobody wins except Usman. Why? Because when Usman gets a phone call over here, he says the word yes. He fights, and he argues, and he stands up for himself, and he resists when it's appropriate over here. But privately, he's very easy to work with. So now all of a sudden, you start respecting the things that he's saying. You realize, I have a partner not someone trying to turn the gun on me. And things work out very well for Usman, and I encourage everybody to start doing this. Why do I bring that up? Well, because if Peter Yan really refused to fight Aljo, we're not going to like Peter Yan. We're going to think he's a bit of a chicken. But if he claims, if he claims he's not interested, if he claims he's going to go out and defend the interim belt, if he claims he's going to move on in a different direction, that's interesting. And a fighter only has one commodity. It's the performance. 99.9% of the fighters believe the performance comes within the punches and kicks. They're not completely wrong. Of the pie, that's the biggest piece of the pie, but there's more. Every now and then you'll run into a Conor McGregor who can offer you something, some level of performance. You'll run into a Tyson Fury who decides it's not enough to throw lefts and right hands. I owe you more. And you remember those guys, and you appreciate them. And Peter Yawn is in a position to have some real fun. The guy is in hot demand. He's a favorite. DraftKings right now has got him a favorite over Sandhagen. When they thought, and this is DraftKings, thought that Yawn was going to be fighting Aljo, they had him the favorite there too. And his record is like 17-1. and one. It's just something beautiful. 17-2 and two with the, the Aljo. You get my point, though. He's in a great spot. He's going to have some fun for a while. He's going to have some media for a while. When I discovered Yom was about two years ago. I want to say that was right in his Uriah Faber time. He was 25 years old. So if he was 25 roughly two years ago, there's, there's no way to even guess how old he is now. But it's probably pretty young. It's probably under 30. Can we agree with that without getting out a calculator and making it explode? Point being... For him to go out there and finally start to work it a little bit, for him to relax just a little bit, for him to throw up, let us behind the curtain, wink the eye just a little bit to make... What's Aljo going to do? Does Aljo know that he's being trolled? Or is Aljo going to come back and start demanding he get the fight, right? I mean, it's the story of Br'er Rabbit. I was born and raised in the Briar Patch. Art of the deal. 
You always claim what you don't want as a way of getting it. Very, very interesting the way that Jan did this. I don't know where this is going to go. You want to know something, guys? Should I admit something to you? I didn't read the article. I might have been clickbaited. The clickbait said Peter Jan uninterested in Aljamain Sterling if he wins the interim belt. I didn't want to read the article. I don't want to know completely. I don't want to know what Jan said. I like that. I like that right there. I like to come up with my own conclusion. My own conclusion that he's not going to go after the undisputed belt. Much like Izzy Adesanya, he's going to defend his throne. He's going to protect his belt, the interim belt. I love the story. It's very fascinating to me. And I want Jan to start getting more of these right. I want to see more home runs by Jan because we're going to be seeing a lot of Peter Jan. Before I place the Chael curse on Jan Orglover, let me first give you all a free tip. The main card is available to all ESPN Plus subscribers this Saturday afternoon beginning at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. And while you're there, remember, you can check out the Chael Sonnen Show every week. You're welcome. Now, let's break down Saturday's main event. Official prediction, Glover Teixeira, Jan Blahovich, guys. I'm putting the hex on Glover. I'm doing that for nostalgia, aren't I, guys? I'm not thinking with my head. I can't change it. It doesn't matter if ESPN tells you guys I'm a great analyst and go listen to show. It doesn't matter. I only have a couple of ways to think as well. I could be analytical. I could think with my heart. I could think with my mind. Try to use my eyes. Try to see what I say. Am I using nostalgia there, though? There's just something so cool about Glover's chances. Because moreover, when I tell you I'm predicting Glover to win, moreover, what I'm hoping you hear, and this happens sometimes, it's only occasional, but it is definitely happening now. What I'm hoping that you hear with that prediction is Glover can win. I'm saying Glover's going to win, but what I'm hoping I grab you at is Glover can win. And the media has grabbed a hold of Glover so tight, and they're so impressed that 41 plus years old, he might have, he might have crossed 42, by the way, could be a number one contender, a legit, beat everybody in his way, no argument, number one contender. That is such an accomplishment in and of itself, but the media is feathering the nest for Glover's fall, not going to be part of it. If he falls, he falls, got nothing to do with age, nothing. It's nothing to do with experience, it was going to be mano a mano, and Jan's better than you, or he's not. Now, I don't want to feather that nest. I want to, I want to pull the feathers out, and I want to throw concrete down. Now, I have a relationship with Glover. Do you guys remember, if you followed my career, do you remember when I had the back and forth and it was the, the entire country of Brazil as a way of getting a fight with Anderson Silva? It was just all of us. I, all of them. Bring them. Taking them all on. And they got on board. They were fantastic partners. They were willful participants. Oh, you don't like us? We don't like you. It was great. When that was done, a lot of people understood there was a performance on my part. And I never knew who was team performance, great entertainment, versus who was, hey, man, that guy's a real jerk. I never knew, and there wasn't a way to know, unless someone came up to me laughing, patting me on the back, hey, I saw this, watched it with some friends, we rewound it, that was great. But I, it also went the other way. 
I had to go talk to a guy that had been my friend for a long time, coach of the American top team. I traveled the roads with him. He would not make eye contact me, would not speak to me. We rode on buses together, and I had known this guy for a decade. It really hurt my feelings, and I told him that. That's the exact words that I said. You've really hurt my feelings. And he goes, but Chael, the first time he looks at me, he goes, but Chael, that's what you did to me. You hurt my feelings. So we worked it out. We worked it out, but that was just one of those situations. I bring this to you because Glover. I assume that Glover understood the entertainment and the performance, particularly because he was within the sport and also trying to get his own wind under his sails. We came up at the exact same time. And we would jockey position who's, you know, in front of who and things like that. But when I, when I finally got that gust to win, I thought that he knew, so I reached out to him. And I did this through Ed Soros. Got to Glover. Waterbury, Connecticut. About a 45-minute drive from Bristol. So when I would be in town with ESPN, I would rent a vehicle, I would drive in, and then that's who I would train with. When I was in town, I would go train with Glover. And Glover was very open. He was hard for me to reach. Like Ed said, hey, text this number. He'll get right back to you. And I had to send two or three, but I, I heard from him. And I never got the hint at that point. I still thought Glover was of the mind. right? And so when you go spar with somebody, particularly your first day, and if the guy has any eyebrows raised about you, you don't know if sparring is going to turn into fighting. You just don't know. And when you're the guest, there's a way that you have to act. Now, fortunately... I had etiquette. I knew how to act. But Glover made a comment to me when I left the gym. We had a great workout. Everything was great. His team was great. Couldn't have treated me nicer. But when I left, he pulled me aside and he said, Hey, I'm not going to like it if you go talk trash about my gym. And I, that's when I knew. When he said those words, it's like, Oh, no, Glover. No. It's now my gym. This is now my gym. These are now my teammates. I'm going to be here tomorrow and the next day. I'm going to pay membership dues. I'm get, This is now my gym. And uh, at any rate, but that's kind of my Glover story. And Glover had, above everything else within training, guys, he had the most positive attitude I have ever been around. And I know a lot of guys that have been motivated. I was one of those guys. But I was 12 years old. I get a second wind when I break into high school. I got a second wind my redshirt year in college. I get a, another wind when I transition into the pros. But it goes away. I ran a career. I fought for three world championships on discipline, not motivation. I fought for two world championships with motivation. But it went away. And I had another 12 years in the sport. Had to be disciplined. Every day at three, here's where I have to be. When practice ends, I grab somebody, I stick around 20 minutes. It was my own things. Every morning, 6 a.m., out the door. So, but it was discipline. And I bring that to you because Glover had this positive attitude. When I was around guys that were motivated, they were positive. When I was around guys that were operating on discipline, they didn't have the best attitudes. I was one of them. One of the things, right, whatever you're doing in life, over time, it becomes a job. It becomes something you have to do. All right, no problem. But I know the difference in Glover. I mean, we, 38 years old. This wasn't that long ago. 39 years old. We would be doing condition at the end of the workout, and he would be on his bike pedaling, chanting things that the whole. Then we had to chant it back, and then he would have a, an expression as he's pedaling, and we everybody in the gym's yelling at me. That's my first day. I'm figuring out what's going. On. I'm start yelling it back. It was one of these things, but it was an attitude. He liked what he was doing. He looked forward to being there. 
He thanked his God, literally. I remember when he said it. For the life that he had and the opportunity he had to be at the gym training with this team. It's just one of those things. It was, it was an attitude that was special about him. And when I look at Jan Blahovich, my, my days of being a jerk to Jan are long behind us. Jan couldn't get a call out right. I, of course, I, then I'd have to call out his call out. Jan would call guys out that weren't even in the division as the champion of the world. So then I'd have to call out his call out. My days are long gone. When Jan got the jump on Izzy and the way that he did it, not to mention a number of other very good deeds, but that was the moment when it's like, you know what, there's something special going on here. And whether he understands the full marketing and the full capacity and everything that comes along in terms of obligation when you are the marquee fighter, when you are the light heavyweight champion of the world, there is now a deal. There is a deal not only between you and the promotion, there's a deal between you and the sport. And the sport means the fans, the workers, the promotion, the pundits, the radio stations, the media. It means everything. And when you get handed that belt, you're now accepting that role, whether it's ever been explained to you or not. In the world of professional wrestling, by example, but where they get to choose who gets the title, a big part of where the power of the pin is going to go is for who understands this deal and is willing to take on the extra load. There's not going to be more money. Your contract's your contract. But if we put the belt around you, there is going to be an extra load and your obligation of filling up the arenas and closing out the night. So in a world where you can control outcomes, that's a big piece of it. In a world where you cannot control outcomes, you want it to be a piece. And I think that Blahovich is going to do just fine figuring these things out. When I see him fighting with Glover, though, I see each other. These are the same guy. Calm. Experienced. Don't care how bright the lights are. They can punch and kick, but they can grapple too. They can go all night and they can go a little bit longer. Real cardio machines. Blahovich, a lot of you don't know that about him. I was in that same category, which is why I'm assuming you don't. About the cardio. We didn't see the old Polish hammer going 25 minutes. We didn't see him winning fourth and fifth rounds. We didn't see him after a fight calm enough he can cut an interview. He's not huffing and puffing and type. This guy's a cardio machine, much like Glover Teixeira. It's the same guy. When you talk about the feathering of the nest for Glover, one guy generally in these situations can get to the target before and more often than his opponent. Almost always, you can point that directly towards age when there's a gap. And a gap and being older are not the same thing. 26, 28, one's older, but there's not a gap. It's the same thing. 29, 25, it's the same thing. One's older, there's not a gap. There's a gap here, and generally that will slow down, in this case, to Shara. But I'm not willing to tell the story that way, because I have no evidence that Glover has slowed down. I also have very little evidence that says that Glover can't take a shot. Did you see what Anthony Smith did to him? You know how bad Anthony Smith kicked Glover's ass in the first round? And Glover came back. So I have no evidence that Glover isn't still Glover. I have no evidence that he's succeeded because he gets a pat on the back and gets to return to number one contendership. I expect Glover to win a world championship. All right, guys, that's 
it for today's episode. Thank you for listening every Wednesday and Friday. I can't tell you how much I appreciate all the comments and good feedback. Enjoy UFC 267 this weekend and come back next week because we have another huge card going down in New York City next weekend. Until Wednesday, I'm Chael Sonnen and you are welcome.